I know G's a uh, certified loser in every sport now, at least. Well, winning record, so. Certified loss. I mean, yeah, yeah. I have a loss in everything now. But like I said last week, fully expected through a realist perspective to drop either LSU or Texas A&M. So hopefully we just don't drop hey, both of them. Honestly, we're going to get into that, but I was kind of just giving you a little lob to to kind of just touch your pills. They got one loss. Oh, yeah, yeah. They look good, though. I mean, we, we won last night against a good Mavs team without Zion, without B.I., and without Herb Jones. So uh, the blender was rocking. Pill broke my pockets. Pills are going to be good, so I wouldn't bet against them this year. That's just my – Once I saw Zion and Brandon out, I was like, bro, the Mavs can cover five. Too good. If they wanted yeah. you to think. They did. They did want me to. They wanted me to think that. Well, I got it to like four, and then it went up to like six. I think once they fully announced, they were out, and I was like, "Oh, I'm, I'm fine." Yeah, wasn't. The depth is scary. Honestly, it's the best Pelicans team Fuzz. that there's been in a long while. So, I'm excited. I'm excited. Be, yeah, that that could be what you need. Honestly, could be what I need. Could could just boost my confidence just to lose. Uh, a heartbreaker in the playoffs or before the playoffs, and that's usually how my life goes. And Way more fun than not making it. That's just what it is. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the week by week, I just get on this podcast, and I'm like, why? Well, I mean, just why do I do I fool with sports fandom? I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Z is – looking at me with a Falcons backdrop, so I know he thinks the same thing sometimes. Bubba's got on a Mississippi State hoodie, so I know he thinks the same thing sometimes. So I'm just, oh, my God, and Z just flashed a Calvin Ridley jersey. That is just absolutely brutal. But, uh, yeah, I'll let you guys get into whatever we're going to get into. I don't know what we're what we're hitting first. Like you, you jumped it kind of. You said you got another loss to talk about. You know, as always, I'll let you – uh I'm going to look. <laughs> oh, Z's, Z's repertoire of jerseys, guys. <laughs> Before I tell G to spin it, I mean, Z's got the Ridley and the Michael Vick. I mean, that's just enough. a crazy combo. Man, you talk about a duo Come on, no. gambling gambling on dogs fighting. But, we'll, you know, we'll save that for another time. g spin it. We got to get out of this. Spin it now. We kind of we teased it a little. I don't know if y'all got to catch it, but we had 11 a.m. banger between the Q's and Clemson. And honestly, Q's just fumbled the bag, was winning the whole game. I don't know if either one of y'all got to catch it, but Clemson survives. I think last week we kind of talked about how, you know, Clemson just keeps finding a way to win. And as long as they do that and they run the table and win the ACC, they're going to they're gonna be in the playoff. But, boys, I don't know. Did y'all catch the Classic? Talk to me, Z. I mean, I think the big headliner here is DJ looked terrible. Thought couldn't couldn't terrible. step up. Terrible. I mean, I, he had two picks and I think a fumble. Um. Yeah, when I uh, and still like it was still kind of shocking to me when Dabo made the switch and put the put Cade in the the freshman. But I mean, I 
I did. I had big money on Clemson pregame at minus fourteen because I thought they would just roll. Yeah, but I made it back because I went second half and they just showed up and you know kind of did their. I mean, they shut out Syracuse in the second half, which Syracuse, like you said, didn't really help themselves at all. But it was kind of eye opening to see like. In the beginning of the year, it was like, oh, is Clemson even that good? And then the whole year, it's like, all right, Clemson is back. And then you get Syracuse at home, and it's like, is Clemson like just kind of fumbling a little bit, or is Syracuse a pretty good football team? Yeah, and that's what I wanted to touch on is, I'm honestly, I'm a believer in Syracuse. Honestly, I think they had a gritty D. Uh, I think their offense obviously in no Ohio State or Tennessee, but they mm-hmm. just find a way that they kind of just got some dogs and they come together and Schrader. I got to see him at state a lot, but he's a he loves to run it, and he's not a sliding cue like he's a lower mm-hmm. shoulder and just a gritty gritty dude. And I like the Syracuse team, but at the same time, I mean we're talking Dabo and Clemson Tigers, like we're talking playoff contender. And yeah. what's kind of cool, like you said, to see Dabo hang his nuts and bench DJ, and Clemson's got to buy this week. And I'm just kind of curious to see how it keeps playing out, but. I mean, you know you're going to give it back to DJ. and I think uh, you got to, but it is going to be interesting to see. Yeah, because he, he came there. in and did his job. The, once yeah. I mean, once they made the switch, he came in and took it over like it was nothing, like he was waiting yeah. on it. Mm-hmm. But a couple other ones, I'm we're going to not get into them big. I think the only other one we're going to get to is G's. And then I got us a little segment that I think will take up a good amount of time. Uh, Texas and Quinn Ewers, just when I was on board even heavier. Ewers, hat trick, three picks. Yep. Oklahoma State gets it done. Spencer Sanders goes for 400. What do we What do we think there? Is Oklahoma State for real? I think so. Their offense think- is electric. They can score the ball against anybody. They still play that. I mean, this is a Big 12 game, just like it was last week with Oklahoma State. They're going to play Big 12 football. Defense isn't um, great, but it's better than it has been for them in previous years. But, I mean, Spencer Sanders – them, I mean, they can they can spin the ball, man. Right, that and offense is electric, and yeah, it doesn't help. You know, Quinn threw three picks for Texas, and I mean, that's just a whole different story. Like you thought when Texas played it close and barely lost to Bama, it was like, is Texas for real? Is Texas back? And then it's just same old Texas, just can't figure it out. But I think Oklahoma State's going to run the table if they can, you know. Win the Big 12, you never know what can happen when it comes down to that Final Four. Yeah, and the other, another one that I'm writing now that I want to talk about, that if they keep running it, you know, you're just not going to be able to keep them out, which both of these two teams can't do it, being the same conference. But TCU 38-28 yep. over Kansas State. And TCU, a lot of people argue, you know, Spencer Sanders goes down uh, two weeks ago now when they played Oklahoma State and won that double overtime game. You know, is it a different story? Sure. I mean, but we can make that argument with Texas and Ewers with Alabama. You can make the argument all the time, you know, so it's part of the game. But if TCU just keeps winning, I mean, the committee, that's another one. They're not going to be able to keep them out. Like, a pack, we've talked about it, Pac-12, Big Ten, uh, SEC, ACC, all these conferences. If you have somebody run the table and win the conference championship, there's no keeping them out. And I know we get to see it every year, two SEC teams. But this year, if it just keeps going the way it's going, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough to see it. It looks like it may be the same way, maybe a double east out of the SEC, depending on what happens at Georgia-Tennessee game. But 
a lot of these teams are making it a hard, hard case because, and like I said, I'm going to let G touch. I'm going to cut us off just because this is going to lead back in this next segment. G, talk Ole Miss LSU, and we'll jump back to that. Z, hold your thoughts on that. I got to let him get this one out of the out of the way, and then we're going to the playoff talk. All right. Um, well, I'm going to probably be a little more quiet on this segment just because I played a wiffle ball tournament on Saturday, and I was very focused on UFC 280. So uh, the only game I was keeping up with was Ole Miss LSU, and uh, I wish that I didn't even keep up with that one. Because we, we break ahead early, I think 17-3, and then they just come back and come back and come back. And uh, I said it early on. Uh, I'm still saying it. I just don't think Jackson Dart's ready to be an elite quarterback. Uh, he missed a lot, a lot of long balls. He had Mingo open twice, probably more twice that I remember just looking down at my phone and missed him. Uh, it wasn't that Mingo dropped it. It wasn't that he stopped running. He just missed him. Uh, the defense, the I hate the three-man front, always will, um, unless you're playing against Mississippi State, who runs an air raid, but we play against uh, 11 other teams. So, I mean, it's just got to be – we knew that we weren't a, a playoff team. Uh, we're still young, got a lot of transfers in. I think we're still a good team. I think we're a really talented team, but we were never going to go undefeated. Um, and I think that it just took a road game in the SEC to put us back in our place. And hopefully we, we go into College Station against the 12th man this weekend. And, you know, they're having quite the rundown in the news right now. So hopefully we can go over there and get a win and still look pretty good. Uh, still tied for the SEC West until we play Alabama, then we won't be. Yeah. Uh, Jane Daniels did, you know, did his – Little dual threat deal, 370 yards, five tutties, put on a clinic second half. Just a, a wild turn of a there was like a flip of the coin all of a sudden and the switch came on for LSU. But Z, if you ain't got anything on that one, I'm I'm feigning to get to this playoff talk. No, yeah. The only thing I got on that one is in that second half, I didn't even think it was necessarily yeah, Ole Miss goes scoreless. So yeah, the offense is a problem, but just the whole game, it's like they didn't cover anybody. There were so many missed tackles. There was a play that LSU scored a touchdown on where the safety just ran by LSU's wide receiver and just let them walk into the end zone. They're missing tackles on the tight end because they were looked like they were scared to tackle him because he was bigger. I mean, it just it's like they got it's the 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 more LSU came back throughout the game, the more scared and nervous it looked like Ole Miss got. And that's gonna be a problem when you face if they take care of, you know, A&M, it's going to be a problem when it comes to Alabama. Yeah, I liked that. That was fun. That was fun, a little. That was fun just kind of hop on their head a little bit. I enjoyed that. <laughs> hey, how'd y'all do this weekend, Boa? Oh, we lost to the same team you're going to lose to in two weeks. But we beat the team that y'all are going to lose to this week. So mm. that's, that says a little. But enough with the banter. <laughs> We're going to roll into this. All right. We get playoff rankings after this Saturday, boys. I don't know if we, we knew that, but it's coming. And to lead off this segment, I want to talk about two teams that we wrote off too soon. All right. And we just got done talking about one. I think I have one that you're going to say. Well, one that's a little bit farther down the line, not necessarily the playoff talk. I just got to give them their credit, mainly because I buried them, not even because they beat Ole Miss this weekend, but 
honest to God, when LSU lost to Florida State, I was on the train and straight up saying, look, it's not great. And then they kind of have a little momentum, which UT's, you know, Tennessee's a different monster this year. But get embarrassed at Baton Rouge early morning, you know, it kind of still – you question them. But, I mean, we look up, and, it, I mean, this is a fantasy world of what I'm about to say, but G's talking about they're tied with Bama in the West for first. Forgot to mention, he's, right now they're tied for, with LSU, except LSU's got the win over them. So, LSU somehow – it's not going to happen. Let's not, let's not take it too serious. But they're 4-1 and one in the SEC. Bama's 4-1. They got Bama in two weeks at night in Baton Rouge. Bama has looked very vulnerable the last two years on the road. I'm just saying we could be in for a ride that no one knew we were going to get, you know, given four weeks ago. Yeah, honestly. But I think LSU's one that got rode off a little too early. Uh, if y'all got anything on that SEC crazy talk, that the stuff that could happen on the west side, I'd love to hear it because there are scenarios that come to mind that, yeah, I mean, there's no telling what the hell could happen. I mean, yeah, the the scenario that could happen is crazy, like that LSU's kind of put themselves back in this position, but I still don't think they're that caliber of team. Yeah, they lose to Florida State. It's like, damn, what the hell just happened? But then it's like the schedule after that was Southern University, Mississippi State, who they did beat, which at one point looked like a good win, but now it's kind of just like the same old Mississippi State. Then you play New Mexico. Then you play Auburn, who's just a shit show. Then they get rolled by Tennessee, and they beat Florida by 10. They beat Ole Miss, which Ole Miss come at me undefeated team. So, so I'm saying know, they have both sides of the wins of, where you're like – Exactly, exactly. That's what I was going to get at. It's like, all right, we they beat who they should have beat, but then it's like, all right, you beat Florida and Ole Miss back-to-back weeks, and you were in the swamp for that one. So, you're going to get Bama and – I mean, it's they they really at this point it's kind of they're it's they control their own destiny right now. That's what I that's kind of what I'm getting at. You have you have four games left on the schedule. If in your LSU, you lose like I said, you lose that opening week to Florida State in just a debacle. And I mean, it doesn't look like a good football game from either ends mm-hmm. on my end. I thought it was yep. kind of a sloppy. Both were sloppy enough that it kept it close, but. I mean, like you just said, you have a you have a top ten win at home against who was undefeated, number seven at the time, and it could be the same way. Who knows? If Ole Miss loses this weekend, guess what? People are going to do the same shit and be like, "Oh, maybe it wasn't as good of a win." But like your last sentence, right now LSU controls their own; they get to face Bama, and yeah. then even if Ole Miss wins out, LSU would be ten and two, Ole Miss eleven and one, but they got the win over them. So, in hindsight, you look at LSU and they get a buy. And they get to play Alabama at night after just beating number seven. You got to have some confidence and at least a little bit of that regular LSU swagger back if you mm-hmm. are down there in Baton Rouge. Because after that, you go to Arkansas, which isn't going to be easy. And then you got UAB and then you go to AM, which is not going to be easy either. But I mean, you like those three a lot more than this Bama or Ole Miss game, I guarantee it. And the fact yeah, that you yeah. already got one against Ole Miss, I mean, you like your, if, if you're going to face Bama, if you're LSU, the most time, the perfect situation you want them in is Death Valley at six o'clock, and that's exactly what they got them. Yep, that's what I was gonna say. You want them at night. Yeah, they uh-huh. want them at night in Baton Rouge, and that's what they got. And the past few years, like when you look, Bama struggles on the road, man. 
That's what I'm saying. And even the last few years, this thing has turned into the more of the rivalry it used to be. Like Honey Badger was there and all that. And now Burrow kind of back again. And now, right now you're looking at when they face off, it's going to be a tie for the SEC West and the winner is going to be in first place. So it's kind of crazy to think that the rivalry is almost back after LSU was almost swept under the rug and now they've just come back as fast as possible. And the fact that we got Brian Kelly clips coming out now, Talking about November's for contenders. I mean, the dude's back. Everyone kind of <laughs> clowned him at first. We thought Notre Dame was going to call him back, and he'd probably maybe run over there and didn't want to deal with the Cajuns. But, he, I mean, he's back, and LSU is, is rocking and rolling. You got You're something, right G? Well, I was just going to say the only thing about this LSU team when they have played good is they're really slow starters, and they're not going to be able to do that against Alabama, I don't think, because I think Bryce Young is going to be – having in the back of his head the same thing that we're saying, oh, Bama's struggling on the road, Bama's done this, Bama's done that, and he's going to be amped. They're going to be so amped up in Death Valley after losing to Neyland. You know, like we were talking about uh, how Will Anderson said some of the guys had jitters. Those jitters are gone now. You've gotten your first loss under your belt, um, and now it's time to play. So I, I'll be interested definitely to see how they do. Um, but I also feel like LSU is that team. I feel like the SEC West has every year where there's a team that just loses when they shouldn't and wins when they shouldn't. Um, last year for me, it was A&M. Uh, I think oh, we beat them. Uh, I think State beat them, and they beat Alabama. So it's like there's always that team in the West that's just going to ruin everybody's schedule. And uh, I think that's LSU this year. I don't see them being contenders for the West, just like I think that we'll lose to Alabama in two weeks. Um, but, yeah, it's fun. It's fun to see other people's schedules get messed up. It really is. Not not so much my teams, but there's always that team in the SEC West, I feel like. That's a that's a schedule ruiner. And I want to I talk Bama for a second. So, we talk about Bama on the road. And my thing about Bama is – I think the best game I've seen them play this year was a, was a L, honestly, the Tennessee game. Because, I mean, they just beat the shit out of my team, but obviously I watched it and got all the details. We're looking at a Bama team that finally didn't get penalized. Okay, Saturday they had three penalties, 20 yards. They still got outgained by Mississippi State. They only ran for 30 yards on the ground. I still just don't know if I'm – I mean, as good as they play and they're winners and you can't look too much into one game. If they stutter a little bit and LSU does happen to get off that slow start train like G's talking about, if LSU can score first or even kind of hold them and do something in Baton Rouge, be nighttime Baton Rouge like we think, I know I know the superstar on that team won't cave in, Bryce Young, but their team, how it's looked, a little adversity, has not looked like the normal Alabama we get. I, I know they got two fearful, or fearless leaders in Bryce Young and Will Anderson, but at the end of the day, they're going to need more than two guys, especially in Baton Rouge at night. And I'm not, I'm not saying what side I'm on, and we got two weeks for it because we got to buy in between. But I just don't think it's as out of the ordinary as the blind eye or even people thought maybe two weeks ago. Like they, I think LSU proved a lot to us last week, and and I'm still on the train. I don't think even G as a fan has said he, you know, Ole Miss they're creeping up that ladder because kind of in the back of the minds like the schedule wasn't and that. But I just, I mean, for LSU to beat them the way they did in that second half, if they can put something like that together for four quarters, I think Alabama's got their hands full. Yeah, I agree. I think the the two main points for me with Alabama when it comes to LSU, it's going to be 
early and often first downs for Alabama on offense and defense for Alabama. I think those are the two things that have hurt them, especially on the road. They give up, what, 52 points to Tennessee on the road, which, yeah, Tennessee's a high-powered offense. But, I mean, you're talking about Alabama defense. That's the most points they've given up ever under Nick Saban. And then they struggle to get first downs against Texas at Texas. They struggle to get first downs early against Tennessee at Tennessee. If they can consistently move the ball and just get first downs, get that rhythm going, not try and get that big shot early, I think that's where they take over the game. They can consistently stay on the field with the offense and get off the field on defense. And if you're – I know G said something about Bama or maybe it was one of y'all talking about the adversity or saying the same thing that we're saying, you know, that they need to play good on the road and they hear the talk, obviously. I do think if you're LSU, a little bit of trouble you face is – I think I'd almost rather have Bama undefeated than knowing that they can't lose again. And Bryce Young back against the wall is a dangerous as it gets around the whole country, I think. so. I agree with that. I think a one-loss Bama team is more dangerous than an undefeated Bama Much, team. yeah, much more. I mean, they know at this point, especially with it being four, I mean, if it had been a 12-team playoff for, say, five or six years now and they knew they could still get in with two. But, I mean, right now, that's what we always talk about, this four-team playoff. You lose once you might have a chance to get in. But, I mean, even I mean, if – It was the same thing last year. They lose to A&M, and then they go and route Georgia in the SEC playoff or in the exactly, SEC championship yeah. game. But – And that will so, lead us – One loss, Bama, is a lot more, lot more dangerous, I think. Yeah, I agree. And I think that will lead us right into the next little playoff talk. And we're talking about, you know, Bama has to run the table now without any exception. Like, they have to only have one loss. But, like I said, that leads us to talk about this playoff deal and how there's a chance that – even some damn good one-loss teams don't get in this year. Like a great a great chance at it. And there's a ton of scenarios, and it's probably one of the most fun things to do in college football. But you got Georgia at the top at one currently, but they still have to meet number three, Tennessee. Okay, you got Ohio State who still is at two, still has to meet number four, Michigan. And, I mean, it's just – I mean, those four right there, you already got them all matching up between each other, and then we've already talked TCU. We've talked number five, Clemson, if they continue to run the table. So, I just don't know. I'm, I'm, the question is, playoff prediction, it's impossible. I know it's only week eight, week nine. What do we – who do we – you get one pick for sure's in. Who do we got? Georgia. Georgia? So, are you – are you thirteen and zero, Georgia? Or are you one regular season loss, Georgia? Thirteen and zero. Thirteen and zero, Georgia. So if that's the case, yeah, hundred percent. So you're thirteen and zero, beating Bam out of the West. Beating Bam in the SEC playoff. Yeah, SEC, SEC championship. Yeah. Mm, Twelve and one. Twelve and one. If Bama gets there, twelve and one. See, so here's that's what I want to walk through about it. So your your scenario right now is twelve and twelve and zero regular season. So they have a win over Tennessee, right? My, so my whole thing is with saying Georgia's my lock for the playoff is I don't think they lose to Tennessee because I think it's going to be hard for Tennessee to get emotionally up how they did for Bama and do it all over again for Georgia, who's just as good, if not better, than Bama. Yeah. So I think that's going to be hard for them. So that's why I'm going out of those four teams. I think Georgia's the the easiest pick or the most likely pick 
to make the playoff. But like we just said 30 seconds ago, if they got to meet a one-loss Bama team in the, play, in the championship game, I'd lean Bama because they know if well, they my lose, biggest, it's over. Yeah, and my biggest thing is I'm fine with like, you know, you could pick freaking number eight Oregon if you had a case for them. My, my devil's advocate here is – so you're saying Georgia's twelve and zero regular season, right? And you're yeah. and you're saying one the one loss is SEC championship, like last year to Bama. And the, yeah, yep, no get okay, in either way. So if that happens, yeah, they I'm with you. They get in. I want to play mm-hmm. on down the line now. Obviously, yeah. Bama's twelve and one with the SEC championship. They're 100 percent getting in. They're in. Yep. So, so now two right there. Yeah, there's your two. But my thing now is. If they do that, which they have to because Bama won the SEC championship, I mean, how shitty and just ugly does this look for Tennessee to be 11-1, and beat Bama, and get beat out of that four spot for Alabama, who they already beat? Got to beat Georgia. I agree. I agree. I'm just saying how how messed up. This is the first year, I think, that – Because this is the first year Tennessee's made a case. Yeah, and this is just the first year that the system is proving – how broke four teams can really be. Yeah, like, cause you're right. I mean, and, like, there's just no, if a, Tennessee goes 11 and one, seven point loss to Georgia, okay, whatever it may be, seven, three, 10, hell, 14, I don't even care what it is. But the fact that they go 11 and one and done the stuff they've done up to this point that went over Bama, which was playoff like atmosphere, SEC championship like atmosphere, crazy high emotional game. And to go 11 and one and there be a realistic, great chance that they don't get in. Like that scenario you just named yeah. is so possible. I mean, we saw it I last mean, year. Georgia run the table. Bama beat them. Bama get in. We've seen it. I, yeah. mean, I mean, in Tennessee's case, that's it all comes down to that. It, if, if they handle business against Georgia and don't screw up anywhere else down the line, they're in. Yeah. I mean, they're in. 100%. they lose to Georgia and don't screw up anywhere else down the line, then it becomes we need Georgia to win the SEC. Yeah, it's it becomes a rooting for someone else after you go eleven and one with I mean just a great win and I mean this Kentucky win won't be a A plus win or anything, but it'd be a nice win to add. The Bama win's a nice win to add to it. Uh you know, just and then along the lines of all the SEC, you know, just playing in the SEC and having the one loss to the reigning national championship team. That's your one loss, and now you're sitting here having to root for them because the playoff wanted to be four teams in a 130-team league. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, it's insane. It comes down to kind of the same thing we just said about LSU. LSU's controlling their own destiny. It's the same with Tennessee. If you want to guarantee your spot in, you gotta you gotta win out. And you can't it can't be a overlooked Kentucky. We just gotta beat Georgia. Then you get then you get, you know, you get kind of carried away there and Kentucky sneaks up on you with a little Will Levis and them boys. You can't, I mean, right. If, as long as they realize, look, if we went out and take care of business, we're in, but if it's a, we lose to Georgia, then it's like, all right, Georgia, you can't lose another game. Yeah. Right. Hooker, and then Hooker that and... becomes interesting. That becomes an interesting aspect. Like, do you put Georgia and Tennessee in? You, you obviously put Georgia in if they run the table and win the SEC. But do you put Tennessee in who loses who loses to Georgia? I think a lot of that comes down to 
how close is the game if Tennessee loses to Georgia and how close is the game with Ohio State, Michigan and Big 12, Pac-12. And the only reason the only reason I hate the margin deal, which you know that's what they'll look at if, they, if Tennessee loses to Georgia. But the reason I hate it is just – I mean, we look back to the SEC championship last year and Bama beating them by – I think it's 15, beating Georgia. Mm-hmm. And then Georgia coming back and rolling their ass in the national championship. So – it just sucks. Like it really, it goes back to the four teams. Is just I wouldn't say rolling their ass. They, I mean, Alabama they, was they, up at yeah. half. Well, they um, towards the end they ran around with cheap touchdowns towards the end. But I'm just saying the margin of victory, in my opinion, you kind of you don't have to throw it out of the window. But at the same time, it's like I don't know. You can see a lot. Like if they're going to go off margin of victory, that's another one that can run their deal the rest of the way and be a twelve and one. Uh, if Oregon does theirs. God, dude, I was about to ask you that. That's, that's the other Oregon one I have runs on the, the list. Table, yeah, if Oregon runs the table and wins the Pac-12, their only loss is opening weekend against Georgia, even though they got blown out. What do you do there? I mean, you talk about – we talk about rolling. I mean, 49-3 I mean, yeah. to three, or 48-3, 49-3, whatever it was. Either way, yeah. a 45.0 L opening week to go 0 and 1, and then you win 12 straight, including the Pac 12 conference that is holding UCLA now, uh, USC, like we talked about last week. Yep, wagon. You know, they're gonna have they're gonna have the resume, but you Oregon know, people, State, who's not bad, yeah, people and and a lot of the SEC homers that we bring up every week and the committee, you know, they're gonna turn their pages back as far as they can and go back to that week one and say, look. You know, say say Georgia holds that one spot and Oregon sneaks in at four. Do we want another forty five point margin in the in the playoff? But then, if you're Oregon, you're sitting here saying, "Look, my January team is nowhere near the same as the end of August, start of September team." And you know, that's just an argument that you know you're either on one one side of the fence or you're not. And that just to me, that's what kills the because I mean every every year. Notre Dame has got in the playoff, and even Oklahoma. Some of the some of the times they got their ass kicked when they got in. It's like, sure, it's the margin of the victory, but that one time that, say, Oregon does get another shot at Georgia, and Oregon last second field goal or just a classic game and beats them. It's like that just has to hush the whole narrative of, you know, we already saw them play. You know, there's no point in putting them back in. I mean, second chances. I mean, that's what this country's built off of, is it not? Yes, sir. <laughs> but that's another thing. There is, I think there's a lot more that goes into the four team playoff, especially how it's turned out in years past with that one four matchup of it always consistently just being a blowout. Yep. And I think college football as a whole is kind of tired of that. And TV ratings is something that plays into this because it's all about money at the end of the day. So could it be a, you, that Ohio State Michigan game, say it's close and it's a touchdown or field goal game. Do you put both of them in there so you could have a, say, Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship? Okay. Do you go Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan? So you're getting that Bama, Michigan, Ohio yeah. State, Georgia. Yeah. I mean, that would be something that, all right, now it's time to watch the fucking playoffs. Right. It's not Bama-Notre Dame, Georgia-Notre Dame. And see, my thing is, which it's going to 12 now, so, like, 
you know, they could say, well, it is going to be 12. But the reason I don't understand why it didn't go to it from the get-go, when it was 12, if there was some of those matchups that you kind of just wanted for the ratings or for whatever reason, when it's 12, you could sneak some of them in there. Like, majority of the years, you could sneak in all four of them. They're going to be – like, it's going to happen. I just – Like, that fifth-ranked A&M team a couple of years ago, that was a hell of a football team with Kellen Mond to them. That's when you – I think the reason it didn't start out at 12 at first, looking back, is they went with four because they wanted to make sure this was going to work. But once they realized it was going to work, should have went right to it. Yeah. I agree, and it, and it's biting them in the ass this year, especially because I keep saying it. I mean, this year, and it's going to keep getting even even worse of a not a debate, I guess, but a worse like certain that five through eight teams fighting for those top four. It's going to get closer and put put the committee in a worse spot as it get, as it moves on. And I just this year we need it more than more than we've ever needed, it, in my opinion. Yep. Talk through your lock. Here's I got I got one that's off the wall for you. All right. Just a little bit. It's not I mean it's nothing crazy. I'm not going down to like number seven, number eight ranked or anything, but I am going out of the top four just because we already said one meets three, two meets four, you know, a little cannibalism there. Mm. I got number five, Clemson. Okay, they got through they got through a tough test, NC State. Uh, they already played Wake. They just beat Syracuse, barely survived. I don't think Clemson can win the national championship this year. Okay, that's why I think the system's a little broke. But they're going to have no choice to put them in. If they can, they got Notre Dame, Louisville, a bad Miami left, a fraud South Carolina. I, I think if they can win their four games and they got to find a way to win the ACC, that's gonna, that could be a problem. Uh, but I think that's the only test they got left is – the conference championship, and if they can win that, there's there's not a world that we live in that a 13-0 Clemson doesn't get in the playoff. And even though I believe that they're the one that's a lock, I still think this is the most reasoning to why the system's broke. Like, no matter what happens with Georgia, Ohio State, uh, Tennessee's pretty high on my list, Bama, hell, I'd rather see TCU in and then Clemson this year, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think Clemson's so hard because if they run the table when the ACC, it's like you can't deny them to get in. But do they really have a chance to win the national championship? I don't think so. So that's just a tough one. I mean, do you – that's why the four teams is just so tough, man. Yeah, it's – because you can't deny the ACC team who goes undefeated and wins the conference. Yeah, over there's nothing. A, you know, there's nothing that can be said. A hundred percent. And I got. I mean, I'm sitting here looking. I got the top twelve wrote down. So below them, you got Bama, TCU, Oregon, Oklahoma State, USC. So there's there's the bottom half of the top ten, and I think every single one of them I'd rather see in it than Clemson. See, TCU is the one that say they both go undefeated and win their conference. I think TCU is the one who could get in over them. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I mean, quite honestly, I'd rather see – I mean, if we're just going on – well, we can go on record even. But Tennessee, Georgia, and Alabama, in my opinion, all make the playoff before Clemson if we're going by by how good the teams are. 
um, because I think if you took put any three of those in the ACC right now, I think they run it with little to no problem. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I agree, and I think that that's. I think unfortunately we're all going to agree, so the fans don't get any fun banter. But I mean, that's the problem with the with the fourteen playoff is if you just go with every. If you go with the ACC, you go with the SEC, you go with the Big Ten, Big 12, whatever. If you go with the conference champions and then you leave one one spot for somebody who's not a conference champion who's got one loss, um, I just don't think every time you're going to have the best four teams in the in the country playing for the playoff. And I think that's what the, the fans want. That's what the idea is to have the best two teams at the end of the year playing for it. And – I don't see how you couldn't have the best two teams playing for it if you put in 12 teams because then they just get to beat each other up. I mean, this this year, the way it's gone so far, I think Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, Michigan, and Bama, there should be no playoff in college football where we don't see all five of those make the, make the platform. Whether it's they sneak in as a 12 seed because some shit goes crazy, whether they're – the one seed in a four-team format, whatever. But there's those are five teams that, to this point, have played to a caliber that there's – in no sport does a team this good deserve to not be in the playoff. And I think I we keep going back on it, but this is a great – like the most eye-opening, them realizing, hey, there was never a doubt with this 12-team. And the people that say, you know, they're going to blow out this and that, like – it's going to be a waste of time, whatever. So be it. You can be that uh, Debbie Downer. You don't have to watch it. But the Oklahoma State TCU game was an absolute banger. Uh, Ian Bama was an absolute banger. None of these were top four matchups. Uh, I know end of the year rankings are different, but it's just, I mean, I don't know how you don't like to see those football games again, but we can go on with these scenarios forever. That's really all I got for uh, college football, G for Z. The only other game I really got, we got Ohio State-Penn State this weekend. Besides that, we're just kind of caught in a weird last week and this week. Uh, a lot of buys, a lot of kind of dying down before that last little run in the season, four or five games left for everybody. But that's all I got. Um, I do got a game of the year this Saturday. All right, I'm saved it. Gonna save it. Gonna save it. Got a lot of information to share with Z. I need to hear if there's any uh, rebuttal. Got to follow the Twitter. This is a. I'm talking a game. No. I, I want to go on a stretch to say game of a decade. Honest to God. Whoa. Z. Yeah. I have. I've got to be responsible with this. Okay, I've got to be. But this is an absolute game of the year for Dalton Cohey, and it's an 11 a.m. kickoff. That's the only teaser you get. Follow the Twitter, all right, at Dalton Cohe 5 at Sip with the Dudes. It's coming. That's all I got, college football, guys. If y'all got anything, let it ride. No, man, I'm good. I'm I'm blown away at this game of the decade. I think I have an idea of what it is, but I may be totally wrong. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of noon kicks. <laughs> I think I know what nothing, it is. nothing more said nothing more said I think I know what it is but because I've been thinking about it all day but um all right yeah I'm good I'm good on I'm good on the college ball
Same, man. You're good. Hey, go ahead and spin it. We'll transition. It's that time. Uh, if you guys paid attention on the Twitter, parlay didn't hit. <sighs> but uh, UFC 280, it, it brought out all the hype. Um, we hadn't had a really stacked card in a while, and everything leading up to it was just awesome. And the whole week, I was just like, I felt so good about everything. And after that Sean O'Malley split decision – which we'll get into a little bit later. I was like, this, I mean, this is just destined to hit. I I may be a fortune teller. And then TJ Dillashaw absolutely kills my vibe while having a apparently his shoulder popped out during training camp six times. And he goes into a fight with the best 135-pound fighter on the planet and thought that he actually had a chance with a compromised shoulder. And then all right, let's just go fight by fight because I'm not going to just dilly-dally. Yeah. I'm not going to dilly-dally. First of all, let's go to the feature prelim. Bilal Muhammad and Sean Brady, what the heck happened? Okay, <laughs> Bilal Muhammad is known as, we already said this last week, probably the most boring fighter on the card, and the dude got a TKO win. All right, he was boxing up Sean Brady. So – that that one took me by surprise. Um, Furio, the French woman, she won. That's awesome. Uh, Sean Brady again. Oh, jump back to that. Got his first loss in MMA or professional MMA, which is is crazy. Then we get to the main card. Benel Dariush. I told y'all. Told y'all I was feeling him. I was scared of him and Bilal, and I was rightfully scared. Okay, Benel Dariush showed that. He is a top contender at lightweight, but everything is so stacked right now in the lightweight division, especially with Volk trying to come up. Like, I just don't think a title shot's in his future. I think the most likely scenario for Benel Dariush after this is he's going to fight Charles Oliveira for a title eliminator, and whoever wins gets the next shot after Volk. Um, Gamera, what do you think, Z? What do you think about that? Do you think that's a good pathway there? I think it's the only reasonable pathway, even though I don't like Volk just jumping up right away and getting a shot after all that Olivier has done, like we talked about yeah. uh, before we got started. But um, we'll get into the only option. Yeah, yeah. Option, especially uh, with the shit with Connor. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll get into that once you talk about the main event, too, because me and Z have a bone to pick. Uh, Gamrot. I mean, I'll be honest, Benel Darius surprised me with his striking as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of one-two combos. His left hook was insane. His left overhand was insane. He was just piecing up Gamrot uh, the whole time. And when Gamrot did try and wrestle him, Benel Darius's wrestling defense, I mean, he put on an absolute clinic. It was kind of it's kind of awesome to see. Just a bunch of over-rolls uh, rolled over. Gamrot had him flipping. It was – it was the type of wrestling that's not boring to watch, if that makes sense. Like, there are a lot of wrestlers that go in and they just hold on to your leg for 25 minutes. And if they get on top of you, they just hold you there. Uh, but this was a lot of fast-moving takedowns and some good stand-up stuff. 
so that was fun to watch. But then the next fight, uh, all my marbles give it the fight of the night, a three-round battle between Sugar Sean O'Malley and Peter Yan. A lot of Sugar. people saying that Peter Yan won, but I love when judges freaking give the nod to the striker, man. I love it when they give it to stand-up damage because Sean O'Malley, I think – undoubtedly did more damage in the fight, especially in the first and third rounds. His significant strike totals were much higher in the first and third rounds. Um, the only time Peter Yan really had success, he did have success in the second round, but the only time he really had success in the first or third were he was defense scrambling after he got hit by a big shot. And, I mean, I, I understand how the points work, for UFC judges, especially going into wrestling. And to be honest, I kind of hate how much they give uh, just standing on top of someone or sitting on top of someone because, like, yeah, that's control time, but if you're not doing any damage, what does it really matter? So, honestly, I was really happy to see the, the, the decision go that way, not just because I'm a Sugar Sean fan, but because this is the way that people have been trying to get these judges to lean ever since – We've been overbeared by these Sambo wrestlers um, like Habib and others. But, yeah, Sean O'Malley opened up this week as the number one Bantamweight contender. Um, the likely thing that's about to happen is Henry Cejudo is going to go up and fight Aljamain Sterling for the 135 title because he is in the USADA pool, uh, in the testing pool, so – I think that that's probably what's most likely. I think they're trying to aim to get O'Malley to fight Cheeto again um, so he can right that wrong. Obviously, had the nerve damage or whatever. In the Cheeto fight, the leg went numb, and he just kind of sat on the ground, and Cheeto just hit him a bunch of times while he was on the ground. So I'd like to see that fight again. I think Sean O'Malley is even better. I mean, we're talking about going up. He went against Peter Yan, who is arguably one of the best pound-for-pound stand-up guys in the whole promotion and he hurt him bad hurt him more than anybody's hurt him before uh z you got anything on that fight i know you want to jump into it yeah man sugar i texted joe right when the fight ended just kind of like blown away not because i didn't think sean deserved to win or he didn't win but just the fact that he did win and the judges kind of gave it to him based off the damage he did because in the past like joe said like if you get these takedowns and you hold these guys down, and even, like, if you're watching the fight and listening to it, you can hear the commentators, like, he's racking up points, he's got the takedown, another takedown, here's the whole time. But they don't really get into how many points you really should or you are getting when you're just, like, doing significant damage striking-wise. It's all just about, like, oh, like, wow, what a big hit by Sean, blah, blah, blah. So, and I think you could even tell Sean was kind of surprised when he won. It wasn't like he didn't think he deserved to win. Yeah. But it was kind of like, oh, shit, like, they got this right. And, I mean, he said he, like, he tweeted and he went back and watched. He was like, all right, I definitely won. Like, he, he's, like, I even went back and watched it again just because it was such a good fight. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to be able to, like, really watch it knowing what happened. And he won the first and the third round. I like, and that's how you win the fight. He, that first round was a hell of a round. Yon caught him a couple times good in that second round. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's how he won the second round, not just because he could take him down and just – and the whole thing is, like, I get the I get the takedown and the, the hold time, but if you're not on top of the dude throwing punches, throwing elbows, like, you shouldn't get rewarded. Yeah, if you're not working for a submission or anything like that. Like, yeah, if, you're, if you're just holding like if you're to recover – like, Yeah. I mean – And that's uh, what he was doing. He was trying to recover. Exactly. And you were right. Every time he got clocked or he got tired, that's when he went for it. And I think one thing that um, Sugar showed a lot is how exactly what we talked about last week. His ground game is good. His defense is good. Yeah. So he won the fight, and I don't think I don't think there's any v- validity in saying that Dana wanted Sean to fight for blah 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 blah. Yon's yeah, just yeah. as big of a star, and you know, I mean. Yeah, Sugar's a huge American star, but he's not an international star. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think Joe Rogan said it best. I saw a clip today where he just said, what depends on who you won that fight is how you score ground control without damage. Yeah. And he just and said – they got it right. Yeah, I do too. And But, you know, obviously we're fans and we want to see the striking, but I just think if you're whooping up on somebody and they grab onto you for defense for a cover time like – is that really their control time or are they just trying to get out of harm's way? Exactly. Um, I did see some rumblings that Peter Yan was so upset with the decision or whatever that he's looking to, after he finishes his fights, look at another promotion, buddy, good luck with that. Okay. Like yeah. where are you okay. going to go? You can go to one, you can go to wherever you're not going to make, or you're not going to be who you are if you're not in the UFC. Like, that's yeah, just go be, the, go be the top dog at Bellator, buddy. Yeah, like that's just the reality of the situation. Um, you, lo- you lost the title via disqualification. You lost the rematch, and now you lost to the Sugar Show. So, Peter, you're a great fighter, but uh, I think you're getting a little too too big for your britches, there, buddy. Anyways, we'll hop to the co-main. I talked about a little a second ago, Aljamain Sterling versus TJ Dillashaw. I mean, TJ Dillashaw was compromised this whole fight. I think within the first 15 seconds, his shoulder popped out of place. Um, and Aljo, like, yeah, he was dominant. Yeah, he was pounding him. But, I mean, was this a prime TJ Dillashaw? No, it wasn't even close. Uh, I, I did hate to see it for TJ. I mean, he was obviously emotional in the, in the post-fight uh, interview, just saying that, he didn't think that he was going to have another shot at the title, so he wasn't going to wait another year. And he was sorry to the for the division for holding him up. And, you know, it is one of the more stacked divisions in the UFC. So, I mean, I get where he's coming from as far as, like, he's not going to get another shot at it. But, I mean, to not tell anybody that you're having – I mean, let alone your shoulder popping out in training six times – and, I mean, we're talking about, what, a eight-week, six- to eight-week fight camp? Like, that's a lot. That's – I mean, if you're if you're training six weeks, that's your shoulder popping out of place once a week. Um, he did show some grit, though. He got out of the first round with his shoulder out of place the entire time, got back to the corner, popped it back in, and I was like, well, let's see what we can do then. And I think another 15 seconds go by, Aljamain grabs him and shoulder back out of place, and he just has to turn around and – take the beating that's coming to him. And thankfully the ref just stopped it. Um, Dire way 
absolute dire way to lose a parlay. I mean, once that shoulder popped out, I was like, is this, is this really how it's going to happen? Uh, I would have been a, a lot more – well, I wouldn't have been upset, but I would have been uh, a little more hurt if Oliveira had won and I knew that that was how I lost the parlay. But um, unfortunately, Oliveira did not win. And we'll hop into this one now. And you can hear my sad voice coming on because uh, Oliveira is my guy, Charles Dubronx. Um, I said it right after the fight. I don't think he's done. I think he'll fight Benel Dariush. I think he's going to beat Benel Dariush. I just think that he's still in his prime. I think he just got outdone uh, on Saturday – well, Saturday night in Abu Dhabi, Saturday afternoon, my time. But he went in. He looked good. He brought Islam to the ground in the first round, tried to throw up a couple triangles, tried to throw an arm bar. He had Islam in trouble a couple times. But, I mean, Islam just wasn't going to – he wasn't going to be beaten like that on the ground, especially in the first round. Um, I would have liked to see him. Can you guys still hear me? Yeah. Okay. All right. I would have liked to see him try and box him up a lot the first round uh, and then let him get tired and then try to take him down and let Islam kind of be on the offensive as far as ground game goes. But I think that Oliveira almost, it was almost a pride thing for him. I think, I think he was like, you're talking all this. If you get on top of me, you're going to do this. And um, I think he underestimated the boxing. I know I underestimated the boxing. I think Islam looked better than Khabib ever did on the feet. Um, he looked good on the feet, rocked Oliver in the second round with a big shot and got on top of him and completed an arm triangle and got Oliver out of there. Um, I hated to see it, but I just don't think that this is going to be the end of, of Charles Oliveira. Uh, in the title picture at lightweight, I think that he is one of the best lightweights to ever go into the octagon. I think that he's going to be remembered as such. But I underestimated Islam. I think a lot of people did. Um, he is he is really like that. I mean, if you're going to submit Charles Oliveira, if you're going to knock down Charles Oliveira, you are something serious. So I'll let Z talk about that, and then we'll talk about what the title picture at 155 is looking at and how disappointed we are. Yeah, I'm really just going to agree with what Joe said here. I mean, I think um, from the public fans and um, especially me and Joe, I think we just kind of underestimated Islam, especially not on the ground. I mean, everybody knows he's just a different animal on the ground, but on his feet, like – I mean, the dude was a good striker. And like Joe yeah. said, he looked way better than Habib ever did. Habib was always, like, just a little wild and would just rear back and try and hit you as hard as he can. I mean, Islam is doing – I mean, he was doing, um, like, calculated punches against Charles. He kind of let – it almost looked like he was letting Charles – like, it looked like Islam's game plan in, in the beginning was to – let Charles control everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, that's what he did. Yeah. And it looking back, like that just shows how confident he was that he could, he was a better fighter in every facet. And he truly believed that. And he showed it. I think Charles, he's never been so emotionally invested in a fight. And this is what happened with, I mean, it wasn't near to the level of Connor against the B, but it's the same thing. It's the same kind of thing, not to the same level, but. He just really wanted to prove everybody wrong and prove that 
he's still the guy and prove that he's the champion and that he's better yeah. than Islam. And he was just so much more emotionally invested in this fight. Yeah. Especially in the lead up that I think he just kind of got out of his um, game plan. But at the same time, the what the past three fights, I mean, he has got knocked down. Yeah. And he's a guy that's going to put pressure on you. That's his whole game plan yeah. is to pressure you into either going to the ground with him. Cause like, it's almost like he wants to get knocked down with how he pressures people. Mm -hmm. And the only thing this time is he had somebody that wanted to go down with him after he got knocked down. And I think Islam jumped into a great position and he finished the fight, but man. Islam's the first guy that's gone against Charles since Charles been in his prime that hasn't feared to go to the ground with him. Yeah. And I think it's a whole different scenario if you talk about Oliveira being on top, but that that wasn't the case. Um, yeah. I did get a little mad at Michael Bisping. I, I I saw a clip today of him saying that he thinks that if Islam and Charles fight ten times, he think Islam could win ten times. I mean, that's just an insane uh, take to me, just because we're talking about the guy, and I know how good Islam is. He he, I mean that. That win is, if I may say, it was dominant over Charles Oliveira. It was. But to say that he beats him 10 times out of 10 times, I think that's just – I think that's silly. Um, we're talking about the the UFC finish leader in the history books, submission leader in the history books. Uh, but that's what they do. They get clicks. But one the one thing that me and Z are upset about, I think, is the fact that Oliveira isn't getting a, an immediate title shot uh, or his immediate rematch against Islam. I mean – the guy, ever since, I would say ever since the Poirier fight, probably, I mean, he's been the UFC's guy. I mean, I don't know another champion, maybe Usman, maybe Izzy, that are bigger draws right now than Charles Oliveira was. And obviously, Alexander Volkanovsky is knocking on the door of one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time. He's in his prime, so I completely understand them wanting to get him his his shot at the double champ status uh, to fight Islam. But I really do think the UFC partly was was thinking that Oliveira was going to come out with this and they were going to let Volk take the shot with Oliveira. And, boy, would that have been an awesome fight to watch. But that is not where we are. I think Volk and Islam is going to be announced probably in a couple months and it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen early next year. And I think Volk will probably get beat. I hope he doesn't because, uh, I mean, I just I root against Khabibers. I really do. And Islam, like, Islam has done nothing for me to not like him. And it's not that I don't even like him. I'm cool with Islam. But uh, I'm not cool with his coach, you know. That just comes with me being a Connor fan. It's just part of it. Um, I think and- on that note, I think the him not getting the immediate rematch may have something to do with that. Technically, he wasn't the current champion. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that makes sense contractually. But I think, like, everybody knew who the champion was going into this last fight. But I I mean, I agree with that. You know, you you can't argue with that. Um, Next thing, me and Z are going to hit, and then we're going to get out of here. Okay. Yeah, Dana White post-fight comments uh, after UFC 280. And he said that Connor is not going to be scheduled to fight for another six months because he has to re-enter the USADA testing pool, which is just how UFC 
personnel test their fighters to see if they're using any PEDs or whatever. Connor just, he's in a movie now. <laughs> he already finished all that, but he was talking about fighting and it just kind of upset me because I'm ready to see that dude back out in the octagon. Um, and it looks like we're going to be waiting a little bit longer than we thought. He does look absolutely jacked and maybe this is a uh, part of the reason. What do you think, Z? I mean, yeah, he does look jacked, <laughs> but he's always been a guy who just like, I mean, he's always been able to put on muscle very easily. Yeah. And cut weight easily, even though he hated doing it, especially when he was at what welterweight or, or like, 145 featherweight. Yeah. yeah one featherweight. Yeah. But 140. I mean, he hated it. Looking like a skeleton and, out there. Yeah. But he could do it. And, but he does look bigger than he's ever been. So I think that has gotten a lot of, you know, eyebrows raised and this and that. But you got at the same time, Look, the dude's rich as hell, and he's the face of the UFC. He, I mean, he just he's Conor freaking McGregor. Like he's got so much other shit going on, but at the same time, the dude just loves to beat people's heads in. So that's one thing that I think with him, it's like some people are like, "Dude, you got everything you want. You're doing all this. Why do you want to train for this? Why do you want to go through camp? Why do you want to fight?" This dude's never done anything else but fight. Yeah, he loves it. And he loves it. He loves to train. Uh, like that's I mean, he's not getting big just to get big. Like he just can't stop like training. So I think one way or the other, the dude's gonna fight. Is it gonna be in the UFC? Is it gonna be in boxing? We shall see. But um I, I would like to get some sort of update of when he kind of re-enters himself into this yeah. testing pool, kind of just to see like how serious he's taking it. Um, so that's something I'm definitely going to keep an eye out on, see what's kind of going on there. Because if he jumps in right away, that means, all right, like he wants to fight in six months. If he kind of plays it out, it's, it's more of him thinking, do I really want to fight again? Yeah, for sure. And oh, God, do I want to see him back in? Uh, that, the walkout, the atmosphere, unparalleled, unparalleled. But, uh, he's got to uh, do it again. He's got to do it. He he's going to do like it. He, he, yeah, no. He, he's going to come back. So my last, my last two things, barely have any time left. One, Colby Covington and Hamza Chimaev allegedly just about a done deal. That's wow. going to be a fun one. We'll talk about that as as we get more news. John Jones says mm. he wants to fight in December. He better. They're waiting on St- on Stepe. It's going to be to, a tough uh, fight for John to talk. So that's that's the latest on UFC news. I'm sure we'll jump into more next week. But uh, that's all I got. Yep, that's it, man. It's going to be a tough fight for John Bones Jones, though. It is, and I think that that step up, but he could be the greatest fighter of all time. He could, especially if he comes back and and knocks out Stipe's lights. Yeah, that'll be fun. I, I can't wait for that. Can't wait. What we got? What we got? We don't even got a transition. What's the ending? What are we doing? Hey, game of the fucking year coming. All right, all right, calm now. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm excited. Hey, you degenerates out there, check the Twitter. Save your paychecks. Take mm. a loan out on your mortgage. Yeah. Mm. 
need a need a first that. home buyer's loan to to double in in approximately four hours. About the time it takes to play a football game, go get that loan tomorrow. Responsibly, right. yeah, responsibly, responsibly. Get the pink slip. Sell your mom's car responsibly. Do what you need to do. It's for the good. All right, whatever whatever you can scrape up. Yeah, I mean you've got to play in the odds. You know, minus one ten. We may have to buy a hook in there. Another little spoiler, but. You can you can imagine it's going to get close to doubling. All right, put it all. We're on. here to double your network. Yeah, I mean we're not here to give out loot. I mean, honestly, I mean we're we're here for the for the better of the people. The game of the decade. That's all I got, dudes. We appreciate you. Five star rating. Leave it. Better leave it. I'll find you. Well, GP, love you. Love you boys. Peace, boys. Yeah. Yeah.